Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. When he shows us how to pray, when he shows us how to do, how to uh, calculate zakat, when he shows us how to uh, perform a hajj, it's an obligation. We take it as an obligation. When he shows us how to do something that will draw us closer to Allah, that's not an obligation. That's a sunnah. We take it as a sunnah. And we give it the respect and the, 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 the proper place that it deserves. When he tells us to avoid something, not do something, to stay away from something because it earns the anger and the punishment of Allah, that's haram and we avoid it. We do what we can to stay away from it and not even go in its direction. And that's what the Quran is telling us and showing us in these verses. The authority and the, the, the example of the Prophet and what it means for us. Now, one thing that weighs heavily on my heart, something that I think about is just two, maybe two months ago, you know, my uncle sent me a video of what's happening to the Muslims in India right now. And it was a very disturbing video, a very distressing video. I couldn't even believe what I was looking at. It was a bunch of young kids, maybe nine years old. I have a 12-year-old son, I have a nine-year-old son, I have a three-year-old daughter. So I can look at kids and I can tell what age they were. They were the age of my kids, in between that age. Ganged up on a young Muslim boy and they murdered him. And it was on, on video. They were taping it. It was... I shuddered after watching it. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And then just yesterday, someone was sharing a video of the same thing, something that's happening to an older person, same thing that's happening in India, to Muslims who are just being brutalized. And again, it shook me. And it bothers me. And it bothers all of us when we see these things happen. We get emotional, we get affected, we get bothered. We are really just, it ruins our day. And that's a sign of Iman. And that's a good thing that we feel that way. But we are all aware that this is not the only time that it's happening. These aren't the only instances. It's not like I just see a video and this is the only time it's ever happened. We know what's happening in Kashmir and the, the brutality and the occupation in Kashmir. And we've known about it for decades. We know about the horrendous treatment of the Muslims in China, in East Turkestan, what they call the Xinjiang region of China and the Uyghur Muslims and what's happening to them. Forced marriages, abductions, they're being banned from praying and fasting, even the harvesting of organs. We hear about these and we read these stories and we read these reports and it tears you up. It tears you up inside. We know what's happening in Yemen and the crisis in Yemen. And it may not be in the headlines as much, but we know the effect on actual people that is happened, that it's having. We know it's a man-made, artificial, created conflict. We know about the cholera outbreak, the worst cholera outbreak in the entire world. We know, you look at the pictures of these little kids, babies, they're like three, four years old. They look like they're skeletons. They have no food, no water, no medicine. It tears you, it burns you up inside. It rips your heart out of your chest. That's how painful it is to see these things. And it's doubly painful because you know it's a manufactured crisis. It's a political crisis between two governments and the people are the ones who are suffering. It tears you up inside as a Muslim. We know what's happening in Syria. We've been seeing it for the past eight, nine years. We know what's happening. We know what's happening to the Muslims in in, uh, in Burma, the Rohingya Muslims, and how 
how savage, how savagely they're being treated, and how they even have nowhere to run. They try and run to Bangladesh, they get stopped. They try and escape to try and take a boat somewhere, they get stopped. They can't come in. We know how painful that situation is. And the list goes on and on, and it hurts so much to think about it, and to talk about it, and to look at it. It, it burns you up inside. And then we look at the ayah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where he says, that verily the believers are brothers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us us as Muslims, the believers, we are an ummah, we are brothers and sisters. And the Prophet when he says something, we have to take it seriously. We understand that as Muslims, we have to take it seriously. Because of these ayat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal. So the Prophet when he says that the parable of the believers in their affection and their mercy and their compassion for each other is like a body. And that when one limb or one part of the body aches, the entire body responds with sleeplessness or fever, or there's some real response, there's some real impact, there's some actual visceral feeling that the rest of the body feels. I can't sit there and have an infection in my foot and even have a good night's sleep. I can't have a cough, or I can't have a stomach ache without, affecting, without that affecting my breathing. I can't have like, pain in my eye without, without that affecting the way I carry on the rest of my day-to-day -day affairs. So this is the way our body, or this is this is the way our body responds to these ailments, and this is what the Prophet said is the example of our ummah. I'm part of a body. If one part of my body is hurting, I have to respond because that's not someone else far away. That's not someone else overseas. That's not someone else that's far removed from me to, to dash for me. Allah subhanahu wa is telling me this is my brother and this is my sister. And the Prophet is coming back and confirming. That we, as one ummah, as brothers and sisters, should feel the pain of each other, should be aware of the pain that we're each facing, should respond in a manner that's according to what's going on, to the reality that we're facing. And there's a hadith that even underscores this point, that highlights this point, that raises this point and takes it to an even higher level, where the Prophet said, and this is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim, that none of you has faith until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. If he loves for his brother, we also know that means for his sister, or for his sister as well, what you love for yourself. So that means part of my belief, part of my belief is that I feel what's happening to my other brothers and sisters, and that I want the same goodness for them as that I would want for myself. And I would want the same protection from harm for them as I would want for myself. And that's actually a condition of our belief that I can't even call myself a believer. Or how can I even call myself a believer if I don't feel that same pain that my brother and sister may be feeling? In other words, if I don't think about it, if I'm not aware of it, if I don't cry about it, if I don't feel the pain of what's happening, how can I call myself a believer? So these are questions I have to ask myself every single day. And we all live in a very, very individualistic and a very, very fast-paced in a very, very materialistic society that focuses and just, you know, we have blinders on and all we really can really see is what's immediately in front of us. I have to pay this bill. I have to get to work on time. I have to get my kids into this, this, this proper school. I have to sell my house and move to a bigger house. I have to get this job. And those are important things. Absolutely. They're responsibilities. But this, this life, especially living here, we, through, whether it's media, whether it's, whether it's culture, whether it's society, we 
are very, very, very concerned about ourselves. And that's the way the society is designed. It's a very individualistic society. But Islam comes back and reminds us that we're connected to something bigger. When someone else's stomach is hungry, I need to feel that pain. I need to be aware of what's happening. Muslims, even non-Muslims as well. I can't just close my eyes and worry about what's happening just to me. I have to, as part of my belief, be aware of what's happening. I have to, as part of my belief, feel what's happening. I have to, as part of my belief, do something about what's happening to those around me. Now, I have to feel that pain. I have to feel that hunger. I have to feel that fear. And if it's hard, I need to make myself think that. I need to focus on that. I need to remind myself. And this is a reminder of myself, first and foremost, because we all know how busy life can get, and we're all victims of that. And unless we're constantly reminding ourselves and thinking and being aware and putting it and making it, making our, our making it uh, you know, top of mind and being present and aware of the reality, it's going to escape us. But again, the Prophet said it's part of our faith. We have to love for our brother what we love for ourselves. And that if one part of this ummah is hurting, I have to feel it like it's happening to me. Like it's happening to my family, like my child is sick, like my child is hungry, like my child is dying. I have to as a part of my belief. Now, the other day, we have a family friend that I've known for maybe 18 years, 19 years. Their eldest son passed away in a car crash. He was 25 years old. I've known him since he was six or seven years old. He passed away in a car crash at five o'clock in the morning. He must have been driving to work from the northern suburbs on 1994 on the Kennedy into the city. Five in the morning, he passed away. And the first thing that happens is, the first thing you ask is, what happened? How did it happen? Was he alone? Was he on his phone? Was he sleepy? Was there someone else in the car? Did somebody hit him? Was he, dr was he, was he driving? Was it oily on the road? What happened? Because as we went and, and we, we, we heard more of the news, apparently the car hit, hit something and it flipped over and he died on impact. He died instantaneously, is what they're telling us. And you look at that and the question you ask is, what happened? How did it happen? Why? Because you want to know, how can you prevent it from happening? How could this have been prevented? How could we have avoided this? How could this young man that I've known since he was a little kid, that my, my wife and her family has known since before he was even born? How did this happen? What could have happened? But what could they have done to prevent it? Now, you ask these questions because you want to know what you can learn and what you can do to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. Now, in technology, they have a name for this. They call it root cause analysis. When a system goes down, when there's a failure somewhere, and something happens, yeah, you want to figure out the issue, you want to, 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 to solve it, stabilize it, you always go back, and the executives always want to know what was the root cause? What are you guys going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? It's called root cause analysis. And that just shows seriousness. When something happens, yeah, you solve it. But when you're serious about it, you say, okay, what can we learn from what happened? And what can we do to prevent it? Now, coming back to the example of this young man, I just heard last week that his family, his mother and father, were driving on that same exact route. They got in a car accident, totaled their car. Alhamdulillah, they walked away with no injuries. But it makes you think, what happened? You look at that situation and say, maybe there's something wrong with that road. Maybe there's something wrong with the signal. 
Maybe there's something wrong, you know, actually with the structure of the, of the concrete. We don't know what, what the situation is, but these are the things that you think of. When something happens, you always want to go back and say, okay, this is happening. What's the cause? What's the reason? What can we do to prevent it? So the reason I'm saying this story is because, yes, I'm talking about what's happening to the Muslims in Kashmir and in Palestine and in Syria and in Burma and in East Turkestan and China. I'm talking about all of these things. But we have to have the same level of thinking, the same level of seriousness. What's the root cause? Because if I'm not asking the questions of why does this keep happening, then it's going to keep on happening again and again and again. Now, in my year, in the past 25 years, I've seen Bosnia, I've seen Kosovo, I've seen Chechnya, I've seen Kashmir, I've seen Iraq, I've seen Afghanistan, all these open wounds of the Muslim Ummah. So I have to have the same level of thinking and say, okay, what's the root cause? Why do all these things keep on happening? Yes, we need to donate. Yes, we need to alleviate the suffering. Yes, we need to do what we can to, 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 to provide relief and provide assistance. Absolutely. But we have to also take that same level of thinking and say, maybe all these things aren't just individual things happening over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Maybe there's a common theme. Maybe there's a common element that's happening. Maybe there's actually one solution, a common solution, that if we apply that solution, it solves all of, the, all of these problems so that they're treated from the root cause and they don't keep happening again. And that's what I'm going to end this first part of the khutbah with. I beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. Alhamdulillah. 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 There isn't much time left in the second half of the khutbah, but I want to share a story that illustrates this root cause analysis, this looking at the problem and treating, not the symptoms, not getting stuck and constantly bouncing round and round and round, just putting band-aids and treating the symptoms, but focusing in and honing in on what the problem is, even if it means dealing with the pain for a little bit, even if it means dealing with the wound, dealing with the problem for a little bit, so you can dig down get to the main source of it, solve that, so everything else resolves itself. And that one simple story I want to share is from the life of the Prophet We know how hard it was for the Muslims in Mecca after the Prophet announced the Dawah. We know the torture, we know the humiliation, we know the persecution, we know the boycott, we know even the killing that happened to the Muslims to the Prophet Sahaba. We know how hard of a time it was, especially when you go back and you read the time when the Prophet was boycotted in the valley. They were eating grass. They were eating bark from trees. They had no food. No one was allowed to give them food. No one was allowed to marry them. No one was allowed to do business with them. You hear the babies crying from this extreme hunger. This situation lasted for three years, for a number of years. And on top of that, on top of that, the Prophet two biggest supporters, his uncle Abu Talib and his wife Khadija, they had passed away at the same time. So how hard of a situation could it have been for the Prophet you know, His strongest supporters have passed away. He's seeing his Sahaba just being brutalized in front of him, seeing babies crying. I can't, see my, I can't stand seeing my daughter cry for five minutes when she doesn't get you know, the food she wants, let alone being responsible for other people's children crying because they've embraced this message and they're dealing with that pain. They're dealing with that hardship. Now, with that in mind, and how hard of a situation it was for the Prophet, he was then given permission by Allah 
to go to other tribes outside of Mecca. Because Mecca, they, they were so hard to him, he was allowed to go to other tribes. We know Thayef. And we know what happened in the city of Thayef. He was pelted with stones, ran out of the city, bloody. He continued with Abu Bakr to go to other tribes. And he presented himself as the prophet and said, accept me as the prophet, accept Islam, and protect me and Islam. And he went to multiple tribes, and a lot of them said no. But there were some who said yes. Some said, yeah, fine, no problem. We'll accept you as the prophet. But when you die, the rulership has to come to us. And imagine the prophet says, it's Sahaba were being killed. They were being tortured. They were being persecuted. He could have just said, okay, no problem. Let's just do that. But he said no. Even though it meant further persecution, he said no. You have to accept Islam completely with all of its conditions. I'm not going to accept the help from you and accept your shahada on condition that when I die, the rulership comes to you. That is a matter in Allah for Allah's hands. He rejected it. It was a difficult de decision. He rejected it. Another tribe, Dhan Abu bin Sasa, they were uh, Shiban bin Thalaba, forgive me. Dhan Shiban bin Thalaba, they were a strong tribe. They had an alliance with the Persians at the time. They met with the Prophet They heard what he had to say, and their most eloquent person said, we like what you're saying. He recited some Quran to them. They said, we like what you're saying. But we have an agreement with the Persians. We have an agreement with the Persian Empire because they bordered the Persian territory. They said, we have an agreement with the Persian Empire that we won't support anyone that they don't like. And we know they're not going to like what you're saying. You're coming talking that you're, you're a messenger from Allah preaching monotheism to one God. The Persians are not going to accept that. So we can protect you from the Arab tribes. We can protect you from anyone else that tries to attack you. We will accept you as the prophet. We will believe in you. We will protect you. We will support you. But we can't, we can't, we can't protect you from the Persians. They're too big. They're too strong. We already have an, an existing agreement with them. And the Prophet ﷺ, he also rejected them. But he said something to them. And he, he told them, your reply has not been an evil one because you have spoken frankly. However, the only people who can establish the deen of Allah are those who can protect it from every angle. Again, in a hard situation, in a difficult situation, he knew the root cause that would solve the problems of the Sahaba being persecuted is to have people who accepted Islam, who took this belief and this iman in totality. They didn't put conditions. They didn't put stipulations. They didn't say, yeah, we'll do this, 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 but not this. He looked for those people who had been built, their Islam had been built, their aqidah, their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had been built in such a way that they say, whatever you tell us, Ya Rasulullah, we'll do it. And we know what happened in Medina. The Oz and the Khazraj tribes eventually accepted the Prophet and they said, we'll even defend you if we have to fight you, if we have to fight into the sea. If we get pushed into the sea, we'll still defend you even to that point. And that's what it comes back down to. When we look at these problems, as I end this khutbah, that are happening in the Muslim world, we can't look at them as individual things. The Prophet saw problems happening with his Sahaba. But he didn't go and run and try and free the slave. He didn't go and try and run and just you know, stop the persecution or, or raise you know, some, some awareness campaign just for that. No, he knew that the issue was still hate. And that when the people finally properly accept Islam, those people will be able to protect Islam. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. 
Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.